Hey guys, Virgil Texas here, and if you are excited for political comedy on the East Coast, we are coming to your town to do our own little mini Politicon. Uh, September 5th, Washington, D.C., September 6th, Baltimore, September 11th, Philadelphia, September 13th, Portland, Maine, September 14th, Boston, September 15th, Hamden, Connecticut, September 16th, Pawtucket, Rhode Island, September 18th, Brooklyn, New York. You can find all those at chapotraphouse.com slash tour, and if you're in the Midwest, be on the lookout for future dates. Okay. Hello, Chapos. Hello, friends. It's your midweek Chapo. It's me, Will Meneker. Joining me... As always, on this episode, Matt Christman hey. and Virgil Texas. Oh, hi. Sitting in for the first part of the show, we have resident wonk think tank scholar and fact warrior, Matt Brunig. Matt, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me back. I really, really appreciate it. It's Matty B. Stats. He's our guy. And Matt, we wanted to have you on uh, because I wanted, I, I wanted your insight to uh, a fact war that has been roiling the D.C. media class. I'm referring, of course, to a fact-checking battle being fought over a recent study done by the Mercatus Center about how much Medicare for all will cost the taxpayer. So just to begin to sort of frame this debate and this, this fact fight, what is the Mercatus Center? So the Mercatus Center is a libertarian think tank it gets a lot of its money from the Koch brothers. It is associated with George Mason University, but you'll notice if you look closely, every time it publicizes itself, it calls itself the Mercatus Center at George Mason University. And there's a lot of uh, divisions between them. And so it's kind of like a branding exercise to call themselves like quasi-university institution, even though they're really totally separate from GMU. Um, but yeah, it puts out a lot of reports about why libertarianism is good and why the welfare state is bad and why regulation is bad and that sort of stuff. And they, you know, and they, they put out studies like these and then they blanket the media. Like they have a sort of PR shop that emails journalists to be like, hey, just thought you'd like to know this about Medicare for all or et cetera. Like they're very kind of plugged into the DC media universe like they produce these studies and then they're very good at sort of getting them aired as kind of objective non-ideological research right yeah they have a whole professional communications team that keeps a rolodex of all the different journalists in the country and keeps track of them and pushes out their publications to those journalists um, it's very much like any kind of other sophisticated public relations operation um, and that that's really like the bulk of what it's about. It's not about scholarly research for its own sake, like you might think of a university at, at a professor at a university. It's about getting it into the discourse, getting it into the newspapers and infecting, you know, how everyone talks about major public policy issues. I mean, yeah, I want to I wanted to get into the implications of that. But as to, to the study in question, uh, what did they hope to show with their research or this this paper on medicare for all and what did they actually end up showing yeah so the obvious purpose of this report was to say medicare for all is going to cost the federal government 
tons of money, right? And you just throw out like a huge figure, $32 trillion or something like that. And, you know, to then send it out to reporters who will write it up and say 32 trillion, 32 trillion. And like, no one even knows what that number means. Is that big? Is that small? It's, it's, that's a lot of simoleons. It's the finger thing. It means the taxes. (laughs) And, um, and that is how it was written. And that's how it's abstract was written. And that's how the whole thing kind of went at first. But, you know, the thing that Medicare for all advocates say is that, yes, of course, federal spending is going to go up a lot because we're going to have one national health insurer, which is going to be the federal government. But overall, spending is going to go down because you're not going to have to spend on premiums and deductibles and co-pays and all the other ways that we spend money in our current system. So when I saw the report released, I went to see if I could find that figure, the figure that says, how will total health spending change? Not just how will federal government spending change, but total health spending. And they don't actually put that in the text of the report anywhere. But if you go into table two of the report and you do a little math, you can pull it out really quickly. And what it found was that under Medicare for all, we spend $2 trillion less than we are already going to spend on healthcare. So you get to cover 30 million more people Everyone gets dental, hearing, and vision, and you spend less money overall. This this distinction is very important, and like it, the obfuscation of the two is what this this sort of this price tag line relies on. What when you say that like Medicare for all will save two trillion dollars? What does it mean, and what's the difference between federal government and like Americans overall? Right. So you have two concepts. You have national health expenditures which is all the money everyone from every source spends on healthcare. So we're talking Medicaid, Medicare, private insurance premiums, deductibles, co-pays, all the money that flows into the healthcare sector that we pay into it one way or another in our current system. That's national health expenditures. And how much and is that? That under the the projections in the study for the next 10 years would be $60 trillion over the next 10 years that we would spend under our current system. And under Medicare for all, they found that it would be $58 trillion. So that's how you get the $2 trillion in savings. But then we have this other concept of government spending, which is how much of the total health bill is being covered by government. Right now, it's like a little under half is covered by governments, whether the federal government or state governments. But under Medicare for all, it's going to go up to like 90 plus percent is going to be paid by the federal government. So federal government expenditures go up, but overall expenditures go down. That's sort of what Medicare for all people keep saying is going to happen in that and somewhat surprisingly what that study uh, found. The fact that they put that, the author of this study put this in like a footnote or a table uh, and not in the abstract, did they think that no one would notice that or were they, did they, or did they genuinely like not understand that like that difference in $2 trillion is what Medicare for all is attempting to, you know, uh, w- save? I think that they thought no one would notice it because the, the way the table is set up is interesting as well because what they do is they give you year 2022, year 2023, year 2024, all the way out for 10 years. And then they have a column at the end where they add up. So each line, you kind of get the aggregate for the 10 years. For the line where you would be able to determine there were savings, they didn't do an aggregate. They just left that blank. So you get an aggregate for how much the government is going to spend, but you don't get an aggregate for how much the country as a whole is going to spend. They just left that out of the table 
But of course, you could just add up the lines and do the math yourself. And so there are a lot of indicators, like subtle indicators, if you know what you're looking for, that seems to suggest they were being intentionally deceptive and thought that they could just snow over, you know, media people, which they were able to do at first for the first, you know, couple of hours until some of the counter tape got out there and this, the whole narrative kind of uh, flipped on its head. So they, they, again, they rely on the fact that uh, you know most people are not going to dive into the tables or understand the charts and graphs. They're or, not going to wonk out. Yeah, they're not going to wonk out hard on this. However, they, they underestimated Matty B. Stats and the People's <laughs> Policy Project. Could you talk, I mean, how did, you said like in that first couple hours, like where that line was beginning to be established in the media that Medicare for All will you know, cost, you know, trillions of dollars and, you know, they, oh, like, look at that big, look at that, look how much, look how expensive that is. How did, how did you, how did you begin to sort of turn the corner on this? So like, how did journalists react when they were pointed out this discrepancy? Yeah. So the way I turned the corner is I just wrote a different piece and I wrote it at People's Policy Project and Jacobin. And I, I, I kind of wrote it in AP style. Um, I don't know if that helped or not, but from, to me, I found it very amusing that I would just like write it up like a reporter um, and headlined it, you know, Mercatus study finds $2 trillion in savings and just write it that way and really make no note of what I consider an irrelevant question of how big, you know, the federal government's spending is going to go up. And, you know, I have a lot of followers, even if they don't necessarily like me and in, in <laughs> some of the media outlets, you know, Iglesias tweeted it out and, you know, other other folks like that. And and so what you think was a division between journalists who the Mercatus Center contacted in advance and who kind of already had their piece written up and ready to go and journalists who the Mercatus Center had not contacted in advance and who were just kind of reacting. And that second group in their reaction they were able to see my piece and integrate that into their coverage, and that sort of turned the tide. Um, back to something you said. You said just now that essentially what you consider irrelevant is what the Mercatus Center was purporting to show: the federal government expenditures on healthcare. Could you? I mean, could you? Could we just like establish why is that irrelevant to the case that we're making here? So, if you're a normal person, what you care about is not what pot of money healthcare spending comes from. What you care about is how much money do I have to spend? How much money do I have to pay, in a, whether it's in the Medicare, whether it's in the Medicaid, whether it's in the private insurance? I don't care really what pipeline it's going through, how much is coming out of my pocket. And that's what national health expenditures measures. And so if I don't have to pay private premiums anymore and I don't have to pay deductibles anymore, but I pay somewhat higher tax, and I still wind up on top, I still have more money at the end of the day, plus health care. That's what I think ordinary people should care about. But um, for the, the sort of wonk class and like the standard way the media covers these things, the idea that government spending is going to go up or we're going to be spending more money on this always is made to sound scary. Like why, why isn't it frightening? Because when you hear the like, a, you know, a sum like $34 trillion, that seems insane, right? Like, I mean, that is a right. lot of money. Like, why actually isn't this frightening for a, a government or a state like America? Uh, I mean, it just, it just gets kind of irrelevant, ultimately, what pot of money it comes to. It doesn't necessarily have any economic impact, for instance. Um, it's not going to affect growth. It's not going to affect disposable income. It's an accounting thing, 
right? And I, I think the main divide we have here and the, pro- the problem that's really throughout the media class is they talk about um, government spending without talking about the benefits of government spending. And you got to talk about those two together because that's really how you know whether it's worth it or not. So like a good example of this outside of healthcare would be something like free college. You know, free college, yeah, that's going to cost, you're going to have to pay higher taxes, but would you rather pay an extra one, two percent, or would you rather have $50,000 of debt coming out of out of college? That That's the actual trade-off we're talking about here, but they just focus on the government spending part in, in, in isolation, and that doesn't give you a good sense of whether this is worth it or not. Did you see the piece that was in uh, Vox about a week ago by a, another like right-wing think tank guy that sort of he he sort of touts up what the sort of broad broadly understood as sort of the democratic socialist agenda or policy preferences for America would cost and he touts it up to say like even if you you know cut defense spending to where like in half and raise taxes on the wealthy as much as you would want uh that still won't cover the nut it won't really foot the bill did you see that did you see that piece yeah i saw that I mean, so like this is this is the standard reply. How are we going to pay for it? Like, what would you say to that? Well, the thing is, again, most of these things are things we're already paying for. So, you know, I'm already paying healthcare. We're already paying 60 trillion into healthcare. Paying 58 trillion is actually less. We're actually going to have more money in our pockets afterwards. The same thing for college. It's not as if if you don't publicly fund college, people aren't having to pay money towards it. It's just instead now they're having to pay it out of pocket or take on debt. So it's ultimately, it's not a function of uh, how big the government's budget is. It's whether the economy has enough capacity to actually deliver the services that you're trying to buy with the government spending. So in the U.S., we, we have a tax level in the U.S. overall of about 25% of GDP. In Denmark, it's over 50% of GDP. So that's sort of like the gap we're talking about, where you absolutely could tax massively more than we already do and cover these things and save people money in the process because you don't have to pay for college anymore. You don't have to pay for healthcare anymore. You don't have to pay for these things that you're already paying for. You don't have to pay for them out of pocket anymore. You know, you do it through the government. Everyone gets it. You can actually get it more efficiently and so on. You bring up uh, Denmark. Uh, you know, Matt, you're a guy who's often associated with the, uh, the country of Norway. You're, I think it's one of its greatest ambassadors here in America. But uh, when, whenever the Scandinavian model is now discussed, uh, it, often in conjunction with a growing uh, sort of, so, as I said, social democratic movement or moment in this country, uh, the responses from the right fall into kind of two categories. One, uh, the Scandinavian countries and like their, the, the percentage of their economies owned by the government is tyrannical and evil. And two the more recent one in vogue is that it's not really socialist and they're actually very capitalist countries. I mean, right. But with the second one, it's like, okay, can we yeah. still be a capitalist country and have everything they do? Because I guarantee you those people would be terrified by that as well. Yeah, I know that a great recent example of this is, you know, friend of the show, uh, Kevin Williamson, Hell yeah. um, who a couple of years ago when Bernie was saying, let's be like Denmark, let's be like Denmark. He wrote a piece saying, Bernie is so ignorant, he has no idea what Denmark's like. Actually, Denmark is the capitalist uh, paradise or whatever. <laughs> and then when Elizabeth Warren released her bill to say that we should have workers have representation on corporate boards, he wrote a piece saying, 
this is tantamount to the nationalization of the economy. But Denmark, Denmark has that. They have worker representatives on corporate boards. So <laughs> depending on you know what year it is or who he's trying to respond to, it's either uh, hyper-capitalists and the socialists don't get it or their economy is basically has nationalization already. Matt, I'm curious to get your thoughts about uh, Liz Warren's proposal there. Uh, I think it's good. I mean, you know, what we're trying to do in the in the labor market in particular is reduce the percentage of income that goes to owners so that we can increase the percentage that goes to workers. That's one of the main things that you're trying to do. And there's pretty good evidence that if you start putting workers on corporate boards, that that starts to happen. Um, and so, you know, it's helpful in that sense. It's not revolutionary, but sure. Well, I mean, it, I mean, forty percent stake across the board for workers. I mean, when in this country has labor had that level of power over the operations of business? Yeah, I mean, we've never had anything like that. We did have uh, upwards of thirty plus percent union representation, and that—that's one of the other. Mm-hmm pieces of this, you know, in an ideal system, you have workers on the board and you have workers in unions that are so strong that they can kind of call the shots, which yeah. is what, what they've had in those countries for for many years. Um, those are the two things that really help to kind of keep capitalist income down and, and keep worker income up. Uh, yeah. So. I mean, it, it does strike me as putting the cart before the horse, kind of a cheat code here, because like you, you identify a robust labor movement that can extract concessions as being the last time that uh, uh, working people had that level of power. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting to, to see whether workers on the boards, if that by itself is enough, because every time we've seen countries that do workers on the boards, they also have really strong labor movements. Right. Uh, So, you know, I mean, part of the problem is, okay, you just put a worker on the board. Does a worker have the capacity to really, I don't know, fight on the board? Right. Does, the worker, a, yeah. does the worker adequately represent the interests of their fellow workers? And that obviously presupposes some kind of democratic structure to, at the very select the workers who go to the board. And if you already have that, I mean, why, why not, you know, have this democratic structure? I mean, we're just describing a union at that point. Right. Yeah, yeah. The, the union gives them a more democratic base and it also gives them more resources a union can produce reports and research and and really help the worker like figure out what they need to do you put a random worker on a board you know they're going to be intimidated they're not necessarily going to know you got a classic king ralph type situation (laughs) (laughs) but yeah i mean like as as for you know elizabeth warren's proposal i mean uh germany is a country that has had this as a law for a long time now and, and germany is pretty much Europe's major capitalist power, right? Uh, yeah, it's certainly one of its biggest economies. If not, I guess it is the biggest economy. Um, so yeah, this has been part of their sort of social market. What do they call it? The social market economy or something like that. Um, it, it's sort of rooted in in Catholic corporatism, but basically like Germany, unlike the Nordic countries, kind of went the route of saying... Uh, we want to have unions and we want to have companies and we, we all want to kind of take care of one another in these ancillary institutions that don't necessarily involve the state as such. Um, and workers on corporate boards and workers in unions, like that was a big part of that strategy. Whereas the Nordics just went all the way to like, the state will take care of all of this. Back to the uh, the 
Mercatus Center study and the kind of the the back and forth and the the fact fight over this fact fight. Uh, I mean, like you know, every every one of these newspapers, they have their their fact checking uh, bureau that issues Pinocchios, Pants on Fires, um, You Smelted Deltits. You know, uh, how do these how do these fact friends how do they get intentionally misled like this? Are they actually are they trying to carry water for libertarian think tanks, or is it that there's just nobody else in their ear? Uh, it, pro- it probably depends on which one you're talking about. Glenn Kessler in particular has a really strange history with Bernie that makes me think that he and maybe uh, is not a straight shooter. When it comes yeah, to Matt, Bernie. you bring that up. Uh, Kessler did like a series of fact checking pieces d- d- demolishing Bernie Sanders claim that his average campaign donation was twenty seven dollars because it was actually twenty seven dollars and eighty eight cents. You should have rounded up to $28. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it turns out that um, an average does not mean every single donation is literally $27. <laughs> that was the finding of that one. It uh, <laughs> depends on how you group them. Um, and he, But he also did one where Bernie Sanders had, had just said uh, Hitler was elected to power in Germany, and he fact-checked that one and said that was uh, not true, uh, even though it was true. <laughs> Um, what was his argument against that? that? Well, he was he was, he was appointed by uh, he was invited to form a government. Okay, by, uh, okay. this is a complicated thing. But they had they had reached their point of of like influence through elections. So like in in well, essence, had, it is correct. Yeah, and the, well, and and they hadn't won a majority of votes, but they had the plurality. The plurality, and, yeah. In European systems, we describe the plurality party as the winner because nobody ever gets 50. I mean, rarely does any party in Europe get 50 percent. But Glenn Kessler didn't know that. He was like, in the U.S., there's only two. So you got to get 50 percent. And he only got like 30, even though that made him the top party. And that was just it was completely nuts. Um, Well, you heard it here first, folks. Uh, Bernie Sanders says that Hitler is democracy. (laughs) I I can't believe I've put my faith in this man. Uh, the scales have fallen from my eyes. Yeah, but uh, so so I mean, but part of what happened here, not with just Kessler, but with the rest of them, is Bernie Sanders makes this claim it's going to save two trillion. That's absolutely true. What happens is Mercatus then does um, uh, affirmative outreach. They then gar- start going to the fact checkers and say Bernie's making this claim and it's not true. You should talk to our expert who wrote this study. And then the fact checkers just assume. Well, the study author knows what the study says, right? Like that they don't realize. No, well, the study author is probably is, has an incentive to lie to you about what the study says because he just kind of got clowned over the whole thing, uh, and they just take it as a given that well, I talked to the study author. He says it's not true. He wrote the paper, so it's not true. That's sort of what seems to have happened over and over again. Now, you and PPP on uh, on Twitter, you did get Jake Tapper to uh, correct the record. I got him and I also Glenn Kessler's initial piece. He issued three corrections on his fact check based <laughs> on uh, one of our posts. So. Rack up those scalps. How many uh, Pinocchios is that, motherfucker? <laughs> um, uh, Matt, uh, finally, to, to close it out here, uh, I think this is like this is all happening in a context like the fact that you basically got uh, a fact check on the fact checkers and you did get them to walk back some of it and you did counter this Mercatus study uh, very ably. And I genuinely don't think that would have happened like even five years ago. And I think it is due to the fact that whether it's the People's Policy Project or other institutions on the left, the left is beginning to have the kind of institutional framework to create, to have facts. Because you can't have facts in Washington without power, right? Right. 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, and, and and even having a name by your name, like People's Policy Project, <laughs> gets you into places, which is totally baffling to me. Do you have uh, a business card yet? To be the case. I, you know, I haven't. I should get one. I have, <laughs> you know, I have an at peoplespolicyproject.org email address, which costs me five dollars a month through Gmail. But you know, that's really impressive to people. There's all these weird things that you put up that. Uh, makes people think you're legitimate. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think so. one of the good indicators of, of why uh, of this sort of point you make is the response from the Center for American Progress. Their um, healthcare person sort of seized on the report and was like, this is why we need to do public option, et cetera, et cetera, because that's sort of what they're pushing. And so it's not like that that guy couldn't have done what I did. He's a very smart guy. He knows how this works but even better than I do. But that's not how he decided to, to handle it. So you need people who are committed to the idea and willing to argue with it to actually point these things out and get it, get that into the discourse. Well, Matt, Matt Brunig, a.k.a. Matty B. Stats, a.k.a. Mr. PPP, a.k.a. Mr. Too Damn Factual. <laughs> uh Thanks again for coming on the show and uh, all the work you're doing. Uh, you know, who, who fact checks the fact checkers? The answer is Matt Brunig and the People's Policy Project, the $2 trillion institution of the left. And Matt has a podcast now. Yes. Oh, pl- yeah. Plug the plug the br- plug Brunig <laughs> yeah. cast. The, the Brunigs on iTunes. No is that, money is made on that one yet, though. So. Is that like is, is that is your the Brunigs? Is that a reference to the Americans? No, I, I, there was no thought put into that, really. It just sort of came out. <laughs> and well, and there was, is there a book you wanted to tell people to buy? Oh, uh, yeah, we're, we're selling a book for our next paper. I wonder where uh, you got that idea. Yeah, you could just go to my Twitter, twitter.com slash Matt I don't have it up anywhere else. It's on the Patreon as well. If you go to patreon.com slash People's Policy Project, uh, just trying to, you know, make a little extra money on this report that we're about to release. Um, so, yeah, you can buy that. You can email me. I'll send you a link to it uh, if, you, well, if you want. Well, we will put all those links in the show description. Matt Brunig of the Brunigs, PPP, back again. Thanks so much for your time, Matt. Thanks for having me. Cheers. So Bernie Sanders, when he is not stuffing his faith with pudding. Stuffing his faith with pudding. Pudding. Believes that we ought to have Medicare for all. So there's a new study out today from the Mercatus Center at George Mason University in Virginia. They estimated the cost of Medicare for all. Here's what they came up with. $32 trillion. $32 trillion. That is $32.6 trillion. So $32.6 trillion. $32.6 trillion. $32.6 trillion. $32 trillion. Pudding. Okay. We are back. Thanks again to Matt Brunig. Always of, uh, Matt Brunig of the Brunigs. Always a pleasure to have a little revisionist sock dem hour. Uh, great. I'm really looking forward to the emails from Trotskyist, Maoist, various people about that one. And Norwegians. Um, okay, so uh, real quick before we uh, we get into the second half of the show, Virgil, you have a, a, little, a little statement you'd like to make? Yes, I would like to say this. Read the book. I've seen over the past few days so many people posting their copies of the book, uh, many of whom have been posting it with heckin' do- good doggos uh, on the uh, Chapo Pets hashtag. That's always a delight to see. Uh, people are, the feedback has been amazing. Uh, y'all love the book. You all, it's, it's, it's literate. I mean, we were just writing words there, but I guess the words made sense syntactically. And 
We love hearing your feedback about it. So by all means, post your favorite passages of the book. None of the problematic ones, please. No, but yeah, uh, speaking of, you know, we are encouraging people to share their pets enjoying the book. And then originally we said, please share photos of you uh, angrily throwing the book in the garbage. And uh, just today, Virgil, you you found uh, a comment on Reddit that piqued our interest. This is from the subreddit Enough Sanders Spam. Uh, the like the logo for the Reddit is someone with a man bun. These are the people who are very very sort of confused old people who think that Bernie Sanders fans are like all have the, are the sort of the man bun variety. Yes, they're man bun brochalists who have tr- who are tr- baristas who also have trust funds. Yeah. Um, so this is a this is a comment on some random thread uh, called the most self righteous Twitter stack you'll ever see. This is a comment left by Sir Dark Child. Ooh. Child spelled with a, a Y and then an E at the end. Sounds cool. Sir Dark Child. And again, like like everything on Red Hit, I generally regard it to be uh, spurious, garbage, made up nonsense. Yeah. However, this one is so good. I mean, I, it's on a subreddit that where people have been posting for years devoted to being mad at Bernie Sanders. It's These people are having a regular one. Yeah. Um, but this one though, I want to believe. Yes, absolutely. It, it's a short one from Sir Darkchild who just writes, speaking of self-righteousness, I saw my 20 year old son reading the Chapo Trap House book last night. This morning it was in the garbage can. <laughs> <laughs> yes. so I, I, like, we have fucking recreated a twisted sister video <laughs> with Sir, our book. Sir Darkchild is the actor who played Niedermeyer yes. in Animal Where House. did you get this? <laughs> so I would like to double down and really encourage angry parents to throw that goddamn book in the trash. If you are the 20-year-old son in that post, please reach out to us. We will drive over to your house, uh, dress as Twisted Sister. As D. Schneider, yeah. And we will we will make a big mess of it. Felix will come in, spread Kratom everywhere. Uh, I will open a closet. Uh, Niedermeyer will open a closet door and a whole bunch of Whippet chargers will fall out and crush him. <laughs> You gotta fight for your right to chop. Hell yes. Yeah. We're not gonna take it. That's what we say to all the uh the angry all those all the angry parents out all there. All the square parents. So by all means, please keep enjoying the book. Find it, buy it at your local library, uh it, get it at your local library, check out the audiobook, which is fun. We all read it, uh except for Amber. And uh, by all means, uh, do harassment of your favorite right-wing uh, wonks, uh, your favorite centrist lib TV pundits. Uh, send them passages of the book that contradict the various nonsense they're spewing. Yeah, the, come on, uh, we're all no, we're, we're all in this for one reason. Just, that's to that's to that's to spite. raise some hackles, spite and spite and venting and trolling. That's all we have. Um, but genuinely, though, the. Uh, just in the last two days, the response to the book has been uh, amazing, and I'm overjoyed by your guys' reaction to it. So, uh, moving on to uh, the news of the day. Uh, we got a got an item here. Uh, if you'll remember last year uh, when we were in Chicago, we had uh, Libby Watson on, who covered last year's Politicon. So, I assume all of you are familiar with the uh, the politics-based convention known as Politicon. We've talked about it several times. We talked yeah. about the last two of them. We, yeah, Politicon is a, uh, it, it's back again. Yeah, baby. And I feel the need that we, you know, that we have to, to mention it because we honestly, we were invited to Politicon. We were. They sent us an email. They said, come and bring your brand of wacky political-based hijinks to our show. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, I, I think like I was originally considering it being like, fuck yeah, let's go to Politicon. Like, it'll be a fucking grotesque hellhole and it'll, we'll get some great content out of it. But 
Oh man, oh man, I'm fucking glad that we just basically spaced on that and never responded because yeah. well it would have conflicted with the tour as the main it would have conflicted with the tour and uh we already went to ozzy fest and that was that was enough, soul draining enough, enough for me and this is like ozzy uh, fest ozzy fest is like really like a very very smaller version of it ozzy oh, no. fest got hillary clinton which is like an a-list get but everyone else no, is basically, ozzy fest is is like mids to use your terminology <laughs> and fucking politicon is the dad a lot of people uh reached out to say oh you guys should send Will, Jamie, and Matt uh, to go to Politicon on acid. It's like, do you want these three to have freakouts? <laughs> no, they yeah, they want me to be in a mental. The real problem we had is that we knew we could only do it, do it if we went because the main reason we'd want to go is just for these people to fly us out there and pay us to basically gawk at these monstrosities. Not even just, of course, these media monsters, but also the absolute freaks and ghouls who would pay to attend this thing. Oh, God. But th that would mean we would also have to have a panel. And how do you do that in a responsible, ethical way? No. And there's no way to do it because you can't insult the audience because they're hogs. They love it. If you insulted them, they would lap it up. But more importantly, like possibly we could go to this just as attendees. But if we had gone there and be like, yeah, please come to Politicon. We'd love to have you on a panel, you know, yeah. then we would have been on this billing. We would yeah. have had Trapo Trap House added. The end of the show. Yeah, it, like, it would have absolutely, rightly so, yes. destroyed any credibility we have or yeah. any goodwill that we've built no, up it would uh, be doing the end this of the show. Because, God, I just saw this yesterday. This is the lineup for this year's Politicon, and I just want to go through it right now. Okay. Yeah, so, I'm ready. I'm ready. Okay. Fill At the Los Angeles it. Convention Center, October 20th and 21st, 2018. Two days, 10 stages. Boy, that's a lot of stages. Oh, boy. Listen to this lineup. Ben Shapiro. Oh, hell yeah. That is the headlining act. That is facts. That is the How many of y'all like facts? That is the number one star they have. He was there last year, too. They love him at Politico. Cenk Uyghur. Of the Young Turks. He was there last year, too? I guess I can't have too many bad things to say about him. Uh, John Kerry. John Kerry uh, is... Who amongst, amongst us does not enjoy a political convention? <laughs> <laughs> John Kerry. James Carville. Of course. James Carville. The cool out there. insect-looking, uh, you know, homespun wisdom spouting, um, you know, married to the mob, Democratic consultant. I always play as James Carville when I play Stellaris. <laughs> Tucker Carlson. That oh, is the first. That's the first open white nationalist on this billing after Ben <laughs> Shapiro, who's sort of a closeted one. Right after Tucker Carlson and Coulter, that's open white nationalist number two. Uh, again, headlining a sort of supposedly nonpartisan political event. Nonpartisan event where we all talk about the issues of the day uh, with en Nazis. Yeah, Enoch Powell will be speaking. <laughs> uh, It'll be rivers of fun. <laughs> <laughs> Right after Ann Coulter, and this is really the the oddest one, Henry Winkler. Oh, uh, is there the any record scratch? <laughs> the is there Fonz? anything he won't guess in these? The problem, though, what's annoying about that is that Henry Winkler is honestly the only thing that would stop you from like laser point painting that uh, building with a fucking targeting device for a Moab to be dropped on it. Henry poor, Winkler, poor Henry Winkler. Uh, the Fonz, uh, Charlie Kirk. That's white nationalist number three. Dennis Rodman. Dennis Rodman, our official goodwill ambassador to North Korea. That I would watch. Next up, Anna Navarro. Oh, I love this woman. Love I mean, I, I really have nothing to say about her. The Just an absolute, responsible an absolute never zero. Trump Republican. The never Trump Contra that we all know about. <laughs> uh, Hassan Piker. Oh, God. I mean, Hassan, get out of the convention center. Get out of, get out of there, yeah, Hassan. Yeah. yeah, Hassan, you might not want to go to Politicon this year. <laughs> Wink. <laughs> 
Hassan is a friend of the show. He was in the room with us at the Simpsons reading. He was. Yeah. Uh, and he also Twitch streams. He's a, he's a gamer. He's, he's part of Felix's okay, never gaming, mind. gaming mob. Never mind. <laughs> never mind. The target uh, is now painted. Anthony Scaramucci. Hey, it's the Mooch, it's everyone. It's the Mooch. The Mooch. You know, it, Mooch is sort of That's lovable. the one that makes sense here. <laughs> yeah. Like, that's like a Ken Bone type character. By the way, Anthony Scaramucci, somebody that I've been meaning to tell to buy the book. Because I think he would, he would enjoy it in that Italian way that he enjoys things. <laughs> After Anthony Scaramucci, there's something just called Baby Trump. Oh, I know what that is. Do you know, what do you, is are you kidding I, what or do you fuck? really know? Oh, well, I'm just going to hypothesize here. <laughs> it's, a, it's a big fat guy who wears a diaper and a toupee and a sash that says Mr. President on it. And he just goes around like pooping in the diaper. Going, no, I made a dumb. I made a boom boom. See, if that's true, then that's amazing and avant-garde and brilliant. Yeah, and that's the best thing. on. Wait, that wait, film. wait a second. So Baby Trump is a big fat ass in a diaper who shits himself and goes, Bleh. Why did they double bill? Chris Christie is next. <laughs> Zing. Oh, Jennifer Rubin. We now love Jennifer Rubin. Folks, yeah. don't we? Oh, the stars are here. Jess McIntosh, Jill Weinbanks, Jill Jackie Gross, <laughs> Jill Weinmom, <laughs> uh, Joel Pollack. Ding. Just check off your yes. white nationalist bingo. Another fucking just absolute psycho. Oh, God. That's the guy Bright who Bart. said that you can't say that they have kids in cages because the, they're actually just walls with bars on them. That's not technically a Joel cage. Joel Pollack also last week had a really fantastic tweet where he said, went to one of the best boxing gyms in L.A. with my good friend who's black. Uh, the music uh, playing in the gym was all rap music, nothing but N-words. Eventually, we're going to have to have a conversation about who gets to say this and why. <laughs> it's not fair. Yeah. Uh, Jonathan Capehart, another absolute zero from CNN, a water-headed moron. Uh, Josh Dawsey, Kaya Jones, Kurt Bardella, Kyle Koshev, Kyle Kalinsky. One of those Kyles is the nega hog, <laughs> I'm pretty sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, I guarantee that the organizers of Politicon asked both the hog and the nega hog to come and like do a debate, the teen uh, the traumatized teen gun control debate and uh, uh, Hog uh, correctly said no, and obviously the the right wing grifter Nega Hog said yes, I will. Michael D'Antonio, Kaya Jones, oh Michael Knowles, Michael Steele, Mayor Michael Tubbs, Jorman Slorp, <laughs> Milo. Milo My, is just listed as they, Milo. By the way, that, that, like they tried to sneak him in. That? They released that, and then an hour later, they said he'd been dropped. Yeah, oh. they tried to sneak him in. Like, uh, we'll just write Milo. They'll think it's the Milo and Otis or something. <laughs> God, his star is precipitously yeah, fallen. Uh, Philip Rucker, Ted Lieu, the tweeting congressman. Oh, yes. Reverend Jesse Lee Peterson. Oh, that a fucking absolute psycho Vic Berger video. Vic, he's one of Vic Berger's like greatest uh, video characters. This guy is like one of these guys that has a shows that just talks about like how gay people are literally possessed by demons. Ah, good stuff. Yeah, I'm glad he's part of this debate. This will be fun. He's part of a grand political debate at Politico. Change of ideas. Uh, Richard Fowler, Richard Liu, roaming millennial. Oh, <laughs> roaming Roman millennial. millennial. Robert Costa, Roman Ruth Marcus. It's a Johnny Appleseed type who uh, uh, buries Tide Pods wherever he goes. <laughs> <laughs> roaming millennial. Sure, Michael Singleton, uh, Torre. Perfect Florps. Virginia, Hef Virginia Heffernan. Oh, Virginia Heffernan, actual insane person. <laughs> who is yeah. she? Oh yeah, she's this like baffling. She like became this hardcore creationist. Uh, she used to like be a reporter for like Yahoo News, and I, I, I best know her because I right after the election, one of the last things I did for for Genius was annotate this absolutely lunatic article she wrote for uh, Lena Dunham's website, the the fancy or whatever the hell it's called. 
Lenny letter. Lenny letter, yeah. Uh, she wrote the one where she uh, compared... Oh, right. uh, Hil- oh we, to we Athena. talked about that to on Athena. the show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We read yeah. that article. Oh, my wow. God, that's Hillary's her. Athena. She's that was Athena. She's light herself. That was generally one of the most unhinged... It was maniacal. ...articles we've ever read on yeah. this show. But no, this is good. This is... That's that's the lineup for Politicon. More to be announced soon. Can't wait to hear those oh, names. Oh, there's a little picture of Reagan with a cowboy hat. <laughs> Oh, this is but like this, yeah, this is Politicon. This is this is the the horizons of political debate in America. A open white nationalists yeah. debating with the roaming millennial yeah, and, and MSN, baby Trump BC and MSNBC <laughs> airheads. Yeah, oh, I would I would want to see cursed. baby Trump. I think what baby Trump is is that balloon. Oh God! So what, fuck it's just, off! It's an but you inanimate can't say object. A balloon is going to be there an inanimate so, object. That is one of your headliners. Well, it, it is funny that the the a balloon is has a higher billing than Marcos. <laughs> <laughs> Way higher than Marcos. <laughs> oh man, Florbin Stout. Who owns Politicon? I mean, this is like you know clearly some entertainment project. Is it, is it owned by the Saudis? That's my guess. It's probably the Saudis. It's it's. It's very popular. That's the insane thing. Is is, it's, is it? It, it gets it's it's like fifty bucks, uh, for a week. Like fifty God. bucks for a weekend, and and they get thousands of people. Who's going to I, this? Anaheim? Uh, Libby Watson said last year that it was basically the type of people who really like the news, and also then what? like Ben Shapiro fans, what? people like that who, who love watching him destroy liberals. Right, debate. Right. I get like the right wing. You know, the, the clods are going to go out and see their white nationalist heroes, but who the news? Who are the news? There ed? are people who just like the news. Well, we talked about this at Ozzy We've Fest. talked about yeah, this. this. The people the, at Ozzy yeah, Fest are a good example. Thing. Yeah, the they, news is is the, their entertainment, and they want to see a live version of their daily television yeah, ritual. I don't. I don't want to. I don't want to. Oh. Yeah, we, we 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 talked about this in the Ozzy oh. Fest episode. I don't want to belabor the point, but oh. again, Henry Winkler, Hassan Piker. Hey, we've had some great times over the last years uh, before we graduate. But hey, maybe don't go to Politicon this year. Wink. Um, Hassan, I like you. Don't go to Politicon. <laughs> yeah. uh, okay, so moving on. Uh, the other the other big news this week was you know on Tuesday you had the double shot. You want to talk about cable news junkies? Tuesday was just like Ooh. China White. Yeah, it was absolutely, that, that right uncut into the uncut dope. Race. You had Manafort. Guilty verdict. Yep. Guilty on eight of 18 counts of money laundering. Which <laughs> means not guilty on 10 counts, okay? <laughs> He's Thank majority you. non-guilty. Yeah, yeah exactly. By, yeah, by the rules of, of electoralism, he is a winner. And Michael Cohen pleading guilty to... He literally pled guilty to... He's like, my boss, Donald Trump, told me to do an illegal campaign <laughs> contribution yep, yep. to pay off a porn star that he had sex with. Wah, wah. And the funniest thing is... Like he used his own fucking money for this. Oh, it's amazing. Like just total dog like subservience to Trump his whole life. And then this it was just too much. And he and finally now Trump is just him. like Michael Cohen. Very bad lawyer. He's yeah. a rat, folks. He sucks. Why did Michael Cohen just hold out for a pardon? Probably would have that's what Manafort's clearly doing. Manafort's obviously he's a soldier. Yeah, no, yeah, he's, he's a, a soldier. He's, a, he's like Weebay, where he's like, give me some strawberry yeah. soda, I'll cop to six more murders. Yeah. <laughs> Cohen just, bro, he cracked under it and just totally turned state's evidence. Yes. Cohen's, Cohen's weak, dude. Oh, he, well, you can he's, tell. Yeah, look, at you can look at his face. Look at his face next to Manafort's yeah, face. Manafort's Ma- is, yeah, that, he's like Chaz Palminteri. Yeah. It's <laughs> just like this fucking slab of, of marbled uh, prosciutto. He's not going anywhere. <laughs> yeah. He's, he's sitting pretty, but, uh, you know, Again, you know, pe- people love this. They think, you know, and, and t- to a certain extent, it's true. Like, uh, the walls are closing in around Trump, legally speaking. But however, no, not really. I, I, mean, I mean, he's under a lot of pressure right now. Just today, he said, 
what's this thing where prosecutors make people flip on higher ups? Very bad. No good. Dishonest. I saw. I saw. You said it should be banned. Well, I mean, a, a lot of the things that uh, his defenders are saying in the media is like just because Cohen took a plea deal doesn't mean he necessarily did these things. That's a, obviously a grotesque yeah, self-serving a defense of an idiot like Michael Cohen. But I mean, that's actually not. That's not. Yeah, you know who did that? The Central Park Five. Yeah, the prosecu- but Donald Trump still says deserve to be in prison for their. He entire said they lives. deserve to be executed. No, I mean even after they said, yeah, he did. He never apologized after they no, were exonerated. He what, said they weren't angels. He said, "What were they doing? What in the were park? they doing in the park? Yeah, come on, yeah, yeah. playing checkers. Yeah. So um, I, it's, well, that's the thing is that there is something to a lot of this, and this is what's so frustrating is watching these fucking psycho law and order conservatives find out. You know, prosecutions are often capricious and unfair, and use. Uh, techniques to manipulate people who maybe are, won't be able to uh, withstand them and, and railroad innocent people. Yeah, no shit. And now you only care about it because these congealed slabs of <laughs> fucking pure corruption uh, are getting caught in it. The people who honestly do deserve to suffer capricious prosecution yes. are the only people in society who deserve that. Yeah. I mean, again, like my, my thing about both Manafort and Cohen, I said, I sincerely hope both of them die in prison, yeah. mostly for the totally legal things that they've done in their lives and careers. However, had Trump not run for president, and even if he had lost the election, they would not, no one would care about no, this shit. Nobody they would be completely would ever... free and easy because, I mean, like there is just nobody out there really going after white-collar crime. And another thing that I'm sorry, like some of these uh, Federalist jackals have said about Manafort, this is a selective prosecution. It's like, well, yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah, he's still is. guilty as shit. He's still a fucking crook. But I'm sorry, everybody on both both sides of the aisles in D.C. and that, that world of lobbyists and consultants do what Manafort does. Yes, absolutely. And the funniest thing was Lenny Davis went on Rachel Maddow's show, right? And Lenny Davis has been hired by Michael Cohen to be his sort of point man. Yes. He's his fixer. This is what guys like Lenny Davis do. Lenny Davis went on Rachel Maddow and basically intimated that, you know, Cohen has the goods on the Trump Russia collusion and, you know, he's ready to, you know, spill to Mueller. Yeah. People went crazy for that. I was seeing like, you know, yeah. it's, ha- it's all happening. Oh, we're going to do it. It's all happening. Ron Paul gift. Yeah. Okay. If this was literally anyone other than Lanny Davis saying it, I might give it some credence. Lanny Davis is one of the most pure frauds and crooks in DC. A man who is, in no way manifestly different than Manafort. Has done literally everything Manafort has done. He, he, is a, he is a pitch man and point man for official D.C., for foreign dictators and criminals in exactly the same way Manafort is. Yep. And ask yourself, I'm sorry, resistance people, I know you really want to believe this. If this was really true and Cohen really had the goods to give up and bring this whole thing crashing down, would Lanny Davis be telling you that on TV, on cable news? And as a second point... If he did have, if he does have the the goods, and he testifies that Trump directed him to do illegal campaign contributions, real crime shit, real news hours, and like like what they're intimating, uh, the real what they consider the smoking gun that would actually make this into Watergate, like in the particulars, is if Trump knew about the DNC hack before it happened. Mm, yeah, that's 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 fucking Watergate basically, and then the obstruction of justice and all that. Even if he g- gives all that information up, how does that change the? electoral calculus of every republican in congress mm. who knows that if they vote to impeach daddy trump who is the most popular president with the party voters that has existed in the modern era 89 percent approval that they are signing their fucking death warrant that the, every fucking yahoo 
boat dealing jug band member in their district can just run and say they'll spend five dollars in their pocket to fucking like uh, uh you know uh pay the fee to, to sign up and just say this motherfucker uh, voted to get rid of our, our, our big wet boy and that guy's done. Uh, every single one of them will be primaried by a former hot tub dealership owner who has been uh, uh, blacklisted from hot tub sales for jacking off in all of them. <laughs> yes. Matt, uh, sorry, remind me again, what was Congress like when Nixon was impeached? It was Democratic. Oh, interesting. It was Democratic control and also Fox News didn't exist. Like the, the 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 sort of partisan brain dementia that has occurred in the past forty years, where people just have this like narrow aperture, because there was you know it it had its own problems obviously, but there was sort of a, a sort of a monoculture in terms of news, and everyone was sort of reading from the same informational script and responding to the same basic fact grouping. Now that does not exist. The Republican voters do not believe any of this is real, yeah, and nothing that anyone says will change that. And they're only going to punish any Republican office holder who deigns to uh, knuckle under to the deep state coup and to the lying fake news media. And they're going to be out on their ass. Again, I feel like I have to say this every single time because nobody still seems to get it. Trump and everyone around him is a crook. Okay, they're criminals by nature and they're guilty of probably all of this shit. But what I find so unbelievably futile about this as like a political uh like a political issue or a political solution is keep in mind, Tom Skoka made this point and it's a great one. And it basically boils down to this. By God, is that Brett Kavanaugh's music? (laughs) Brett Kavanaugh is going to be appointed to the Supreme court. Yeah. Uh, Chuck Schumer, all these people who have already fucking rolled over for this. Yeah. Uh, or all the people who are like, we have to hold Trump accountable. You know, all the people who want to impeach him or whatever. Fine. Go ahead. What's going to happen? It's going to go to the Supreme Court and it's going to be a 5-4 decision. Brett Kavanaugh is going to cast the uh, deciding vote that's going to decide that the illegal campaign contributions, the $150,000 in hush money to a porn star is actually free speech. Or the president can't be indicted. Or the president can't. Yes, that's the thing is that that came up during Nixon and because Nixon resigned, uh, it never uh, was brought to court. But there are there is a divided legal precedent on whether or not a sitting president can be indicted. It has never been determined People, by a higher court. The, the liberal fantasy here is you ever read Our Dumb Century yeah. uh, and the, the pages about uh, Nixon's when downfall. He's like on, where when he's, he's on the, he's run on and the like lamb and gets judge- killed in a shootout with the cops <laughs> at the motel. That's what they think is going to happen. Yeah. They think, and, and we did an interview with Slate yesterday, and they're going to cut all the good shit, but, so I'll just recapitulate it. They believe that you know this, this lawyer, this Lanny Davis, is going to have all the facts, and once all the facts are out, then... Uh, the Republicans will have no choice but to impeach him, and that Fox News has to turn on him, and that my my fucking shithead brother-in-law who argues me on Facebook is going to say, "Well, you were right all along. Yep. Facts and reason. I I I was the one with the Pinocchios this time. <laughs> That's not going to happen. That's not how anything works. The entire Republican Party apparatus, every single one of them." hates you they hate you they are utterly indifferent to whether you live or die they don't give a shit about any of these stupid bromides about patriotism and dignity and honor no they are a criminal gang they're a syndicate they're not they're not they're not operating by any of these rules so just embrace it embrace that there are no rules take no embrace embrace a life without logic facts or reason uh we'll see if they uh we'll see if it makes air on uh the cultural gab fest or if they uh no it's actually the gist podcast but i'm gonna call it the cultural gab fest regardless the gist podcast (laughs) the other thing you said on that show that if it makes the cut i'm sure will drive 
people. I up. hope. I hope it. I, yeah, I, I know it will drive people about. up the fucking it's, wall. You said at the end it, of the show about like, like if Trump fires Mueller, yeah, yeah, and it, just it, here's the thing. You just said. You're not going to do shit. Yeah, you're not going to be out in the streets. You're going to be posting about it just like you're doing now. Get over yourselves. Yeah. No, that's exactly it. I remember <laughs> seeing uh, uh, there was some like dis- disgusting foreign policy thing Trump did. And uh, uh, I-, I remember seeing these resistance accounts say that's a distraction. We need to be sharp. The Manafort trial starts now. We have to be ready to post about it. We have to fact. They're all following the Dan Pfeiffer playbook. We're going to make sure our facts are so pure, 100 uh, percent uh, blue sky crystal meth facts that it will it will hook all of our QAnon relatives now, all of our, our fellow boomers whose brains are sponge. And they're going to turn on the president whom they love, whom they love. They love that. He says the N word. There could be an N word tape. They'll be all, well, damn, I want to say it, too. That's great. That's it. They don't like you. Well, they don't like a pluralistic society. They well, don't like uh, egalitarianism. This is this is a perfect segue now. I mean, uh, Matt mentioned that like Fox News didn't exist during Watergate. And the reason Trump has 89 percent approval is because the people who love oh, him. Can, can I just can I just yeah. make this point? You know, we, we've also uh, uh, we, we've 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 done this before. We all did this fucking before a lawyer saying he's got the goods to take down the president. Uh, that's what Michael Avenetti fucking said over and over again on Rachel Maddow. Now what's he doing? He's dicking around in Iowa thinking he's going to run for president. He probably will because fuck us. Your, your point about like the, the sort of media and political ecosystem yeah. we live in now in which the Republican base loves Trump more than any president in the modern era of, of their own party uh, is fed a diet nonstop on the internet and on cable news that reinforces their worldview. And the president also watches that and the issues that they care about are he tweets about and are becoming, you know, of national import. One issue in particular that the president mentioned just the other day is the seizure of white farmers land in South Africa. Not happening by the way. Uh, the, the, this is a, Again, like if you're a, a normal person and you see this, you're like, what is he talking about? You know, why is this an issue of national import for an American president to comment on? But if you are stewed 24 seven in the right wing Internet and now I'm sorry, increasingly white supremacist right wing Internet, this is the issue of the day. This is a huge issue for them. This is they're white genocide shit, but like yes. they, they think it's real. Yeah. Oh, it's it's straight up Nazi shit that the conservative media apparatus just just you know called up from the bench. And yeah, no, and, and the other the other issue, uh, the the I guarantee. Okay, so like Cohen and Manafort, those are those are two big things, and we know the Democrats are going to make Trump and his criminal corruption and cronies that they're going in the midterm strong with that. The Republicans are probably a little wary. Of, I mean, they have a weak hand now. I mean, the president is a mess. <laughs> But he's a, he's a hot but, mess. However, what they're going to go it's like strongly, Kathy at the office party. <laughs> <laughs> the Republicans, dude, get ready for it. From now until November, get ready to hear about white genocide in South Africa, yep. about how black South Africans are seizing the land of white farmers and raping and killing them. And Molly Tibbetts. Yep. Get ready to hear that name over and over and over again from now until November. That's what they're going to run on. And, you know, don't be surprised if it works. Or if it, you know, they turn people out with that. I mean, it's going to press all of the pleasure and pain and terror centers, which are all one big throbbing vein in the brains of these fucking psychopaths. It's going to hit every this one is, of them. It's just, yeah, it's going to be Newt Gingrich wrote to Mike Allen at Axios 
where he just said, and I'm actually dumbfounded that they just admitted this. He told Mike Allen and to print this, where he said, if the, you know, if, if the media, if, if Manafort and Cohen are on everyone's minds, you know, we're going to lose. If Molly Tibbet is on everyone's minds, we're going to win. Yeah. Get ready for to just yeah for white genocide to be a major Republican talking no, it's point. Just, it's, that's all they have. That's all it is. I mean, that's what the party is, and that's again, literally every single person involved in the party apparatus is fully supportive of of perpetuating white racial panic and dehumanizing non whites in this country, and that's what the party exists to do. So stop thinking that there's any dignity left there now and i mean it's like no we're 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 living in a world of a thousand willie hortons and if you think it's gonna get counteracted by people by appealing to people's people who watch rachel maddow religiously and and love the the their stories about about all the prosecutions and about daddy Mueller, that's that's not gonna fucking move the needle that's not gonna get notoriously uh, vote-averse Democrats in midterms to come out. I mean, again, like, I think there's still a good chance the Democrats will take, you know, Virgil, you, you still say I, that? I mean, I think it's, it's uh, oh, they're almost certain to take back the House. I think that. I mean, there's obviously a chance that it wouldn't happen because of gerrymandering and all that stuff, and maybe the turnout's not that great, but I think they will. Uh, the Senate, I think it's 50-50. If I had to bet, I mean, I'd say, yeah, they take back Congress. Oh, you literally are betting me. Yeah, I am betting. I am, uh, I am betting $10,000. And I'd say what's more... <laughs> I'd say a thing that happened in the last couple of weeks that I think is going to be more dispositive of the midterms than the Mueller indictments or, or maybe even uh, the murder in Iowa is uh, when in, in Georgia, where the GOP that controls the state in the face of a Democratic gubernatorial challenge from a, a black woman, Stacey uh, Abrams, I think so, yeah, uh, who is polling at tied or ahead yes. of a Republican opponent. Yes. Uh, they just decided to close the majority of uh, voting places in uh, majority black counties without even offering a scintilla of a justification for it. No. There's some vague gestures about the American for Disabilities Act being accessibility. Yeah, yeah. But a lot of them are built in buildings that are just by their nature uh, ADA compliant. But yeah, no, just like no, not even a fig leaf, not even a fig leaf of about oh, voting, uh, voting fraud or any of that horseshit. Just a black woman might be governor. Let's just close the voting places. And because they destroyed the uh, American, uh, uh, the Voting Rights Act, there's nothing to stop it from happening. So that is, I think, going to be also a very important uh, integer into anybody's consideration. Of and, the and of course, if she won, uh, the Republican legislature would do the exact same thing that the North Carolina Republican legislature did after uh, in 2016, a Democratic governor was elected, which is strip him of most of his powers. Yeah. And try to change the way that they uh, elect. Or they'll uh, do what the Republicans in West Virginia are doing, which is just straight up uh, uh, removing from office the Democratic Supreme Court justices. Yeah. Anti-democratic coups. Wow, it's basically. almost like you can't win, and there's no there's no logic, and no, and no matter how many Pinocchios you give them, or maybe nothing will happen. And maybe voting is bullshit, or, and, or, or and armed struggle or is the saying, only hope. Like you know, hey, you know, this is what Republicans represent. You know, hate and division, but you know what? We're better than that. That's not what America is, dude. Grow up, get you get used to it, man. Or or you know, you know, steal yourself with something a little bit sterner than that. No, America this is what America's always been. It's a stream of piss directly in your mouth. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, yesterday, I, I, I was inundated. There, there was an article that came out yesterday, and I was inundated. People were, like, DMing me it, and they were, like, reading series, reading series, you know. And By the way, we hate when you do that. Stop <laughs> doing that. No, it's fine. Uh, okay. 
you know, and on at face value, I was like, yeah, this seems tailor made for us. But like, I gave it some thought, and I've decided against it. And I'll tell you why. The article was Sunny Lunch in the Washington Post, writing about uh, how the CIA needs to start funding culture like it did during the Cold War as part of like a new culture war against socialism and communism. And the example he used was uh, the CIA should I don't know like fund screenings of Boots Riley's Sorry to Bother You in China so that people in China could see what like you know what the freedom to critique uh, the system you live under looks like and here's the thing sunny lunch is a sad loser in dc who is only fit for neoconservative make work jobs at the free beacon or wherever the fuck else daily callers like yeah yeah he does not have an ounce of sincerity in his body all he does he's like a he's like an even more worthless john Podhoritz. he's like uh, all he does is write about pop cultural minutiae and he just exists to troll liberals by being like why the meg starring jason statham proves the iraq war was right he doesn't believe in anything no. i mean he's just like he has, doesn't have an ounce of sincerity like i said he's just a troll he's a fucking husk he looks like a snowman you see his avatar Look, I mean, I, I'm sorry if you actually do this. No, he he looks like a snowman. He looks like, you know, one of those like three panel learn to draw things and like Sunday funnies activity pages. He looks like that. Just draw one circle. Now draw another circle. Now put some <laughs> shitty pube facial hair on it. And now you, you got a sunny lunch. Yeah, he's sort of like a he's sort of like if uh, Matt Iglesias had grown up in the Chernobyl exclusion zone. <laughs> I saw like I saw a picture of isn't this guy like twenty five or something? He looks like a decrepit fifty year old. Yeah, he's he's broken. He's busted. He's yeah, busted. Like now. I said, he has he has a make work job at these like again for only staffed by neoconservative fail sons. The thing is, he trolls liberals, but he doesn't even have enough of the courage of courage of his convictions to troll them in a way that would prevent him from still getting drinks with them yeah at, of course you know brookings institute dudes. yeah well it's all in good fun you know yeah, like, ooh, yeah. the winston churchill so, tommy gun again yeah. th- this is the last i'll ever talk about sunny bunch he's worthless he's not even worth an ounce of your attention because to get the reading series you got to have brain worms or you got to have sincerity yeah you got like there has to be something there to make fun of and grabbing on he's totally empty mm-hmm. everything he writes is nothing yeah I would like to spend the, ra- the last part of the show talking about something that does matter. You may know, you may have heard, uh, there is currently a national prison strike going on in this country right now. Um, and I'd like to read now the original, the original press release uh, about the prisoner strike. This is going on from August 21st to September 9th of this year. Um, and I just want to read here their, the, the first press release and statement and their list of demands. Men and women incarcerated in prisons across the nation declare a nationwide strike in response to the riot in Lee Correctional Institution, a maximum security prison in South Carolina. Seven comrades lost their life during a senseless uprising that could have been avoided had the prison been not so overcrowded from the greed wrought by mass incarceration and a lack of respect for human life that is embedded in our nation's penal ideology. These men and women are demanding humane living conditions, access to rehabilitation, sentencing reform, and the end of modern-day slavery. These are the national demands of the men and women in federal, immigration, and state prisons. One, immediate improvements to the conditions of prisons and prison policies that recognize the humanity of imprisoned men and women. Two, an immediate end to prison slavery. All persons imprisoned in any place of detention under the United States jurisdiction must be paid the prevailing wage in the state or territory for their labor. That is a really big one. Uh, You know these wildfires that are burning all of California? Mm -hmm. Prisoners 
are mostly the ones fighting these wildfires, and they're fighting it for a dollar a day. Yep. That's what they're being paid to do And if they get out of prison, they are barred from seeking employment as firefighters. And you'll remember Kamala Harris said of these wildfires, like, you know, we can't stop using prison labor because, you know, where else are we going to get the people to fight these fires? For a dollar a day fighting fighting wildfires that kill people all the time and have destroyed vast swaths of California. Mm -hmm. That are, of course, exacerbated by the effects of climate change. Yeah. A dollar a day, though. Keep that in mind. Three. The Prison Litigation Reform Act must be rescinded, allowing imprisoned humans a proper channel to address grievances and violations of their rights. Four, the Truth and Sentencing Act and the Sentencing Reform Act must be rescinded rescinded, so that imprisoned humans have a possibility of rehabilitation and parole. No human shall be sentenced to death by incarceration or serve any sentence without the possibility of parole. I don't think people really realize that not only in terms of the death penalty, but also in terms of life sentences without the possibility of parole, stands almost completely alone in the first world. Yes. No, it's, it's depraved. And that's one of the big contributors to, to mass incarceration is, is that in the 80s, we basically decided that we we're just going to throw people in prison for the rest of their lives, which we'd never done before in America and which no one else really does to this day. And now it's considered normal. It's like, yeah, you do a murder, you spend the rest of your life in prison, even though that was never the standard anywhere, including here. And isn't the standard now basically anywhere else? Five, an immediate end to the racial overcharging, oversentencing, and parole denials of black and brown humans. Black humans shall no longer be denied parole because the victim of the crime was white, which is a particular problem in southern states. Six, an immediate end to racist gang enhancement laws targeting black and brown humans. Seven, No imprisoned human shall be denied access to rehabilitation programs at their place of detention because of their label as a violent offender. Eight, state prisons must be funded specifically to offer more rehabilitation services. Nine, Pell Grants must be reinstated in all U.S. states and territories. Ten, the voting rights of all confined citizens serving prison sentences, pretrial detainees, and so-called ex-felons must be counted. Representation is demanded all voices count. That last one, again, is so huge. I yeah. mean, the disenfranchisement of people who are serving time, not just serving time, but who have done their, yes. done served their sentence yeah. and are supposedly back citizens to be re- again. citizens yes. again, cannot vote anymore. Yeah. That is an outrage. That is, yeah. ap- that is completely undemocratic. And it's outrageous that you can't vote while incarcerated because people who are incarcerated are actually counted for the in purposes censuses, of Yes, uh, yes. In, in these rural upstate counties, people are pulled out of, of, of largely urban uh, areas and, and then warehoused in these. In these it's, it's like the fucking three-fourths-fifths compromise all over yes. again. So, I mean, you read those ten demands that are just so fucking obvious and just like the, the blatant violation of human rights that on a that makes this country a, a pariah on the global stage is i mean this honestly is i like this should be the most important story in america yes. right now yes. as far as i'm concerned and you know another like when we did that slate interview like or like we're doing all these interviews and we keep getting asked oh like you know you say like oh the democrats suck you do you know this or bad or you're so like negative or whatever you know what what can people do like you know well you know well you know what should people be doing with their time if they're not voting for democrats this is the answer to that question. Yeah, uh, I, would, I just want to say uh, that in, in the Lee Correctional Facility where the riot that's, that sparked this happened, it was precipitated in part by the, uh, a gladiator uh, fight club that the guards were, were, were running where they would make the prisoners fight for their amusement. 
Like that's the kind of just medieval psychotic sadism that is generated by having these institutions just as an accepted part of American society. I think, I mean, you have to come to terms with the fact that no matter what crime you've been, you've, you've committed, even if it's a heinous crime, uh, when, if you become a ward of the state, if you're incarcerated, the state is responsible for you. And to be incarcerated in the American prison system is to be subject to dehumanization and torture that is unspeakable and, and, almost all cases worse than any crime a person could be put in there for in the first place. Every one of these demands are important. They deserve to be heard and they deserve to be met at the very least. Mm -hmm. And every single politician who you think is worthy of your support should be talking about this. And I just want to shout out, look up, the Incarcerated Workers Organizing Committee. We'll put a link in the bio. Yeah, we'll have all the links in the bios. Uh, there's a ton of things that you can do. Obviously, the easiest of which is donating money. I have absolutely done that. I encourage everyone to do the same. But there are also things uh, like more direct actions, like um, basically spamming prisons with phone calls, like flooding the lines of prisons with phone calls so that nothing, no calls go in or out. And these prisons know that everyone on the outside is looking in at them basically uh there are you know there are a million ways to get involved in this um letter writing you know letter writing campaigns you are posters you know that you are born posters here's a type of posting for good you can establish contact with prisoners strangers you can write to them just write about your lives or write about your political ideals that can be very very helpful another really important thing there's a, outside of the incarcerated workers organizing committee uh, groups like Books Through Bars, who uh, send books to prisoners, often many of the books that uh, they're not allowed to read, basically. And it is also incredibly politically censored what books can, oh, yes. can, be, can and can't be read in prisons. But um, yeah, just sending books to prisoners. There basically aren't prison libraries anymore no. at all. You know, like that, that was the, cla you know, the classic, you know, m prison movie trope, like, oh, go to the prison library. That's gone. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, access to reading materials, education. These are things that people can do. And, again, I just really want to reiterate, if you're interested in what does matter politically outside the spectacle of everything else that we talk of and make fun of, I really cannot think of a more important issue than this prison strike going on right now. And I would implore everyone to uh, donate money or just check out the Incarcerated Workers Organizing Committee or just read about what's going on right now. I think that's a good place to leave it. Yeah. Until next time. Until uh -huh. next time, guys. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye. Bye.